wonderfully done. And the hymn we sang just before us there is a, a beautiful rendition of God of Grace and God of Glory, Be Thou My Vision, is one of my all-time favorite hymns. I love that hymn. I love the line, Be Thou My Wisdom and Thou My True Word. What can be more appropriate as we uh, continue in our series on the book of Proverbs, the pursuit of wisdom, God's wisdom applied to every area of our life. Be Thou My Wisdom and My True Word. I also love that hymn because it reminds me of a time when I, my son Noah, when he was a freshman at Wheaton College, and he'd been there for a few weeks for football camp, and we showed up, my wife and I, and the parents meeting, they sort of, they have the, in, in uh, Edmund Chapel, they have um, the big uh, kickoff for the year for all new students and parents. And we sang that song, that hymn, and I remember praying it for my son. I want you to be his vision. I want you to be his wisdom. I want him to focus on you, Lord. With tears in my eyes, praying for my son. I look over at him, and he's half asleep because he's been there for, you know. Sometimes he comes in stages. Speaking of my son, he's now, we moved him to Houston recently. He's finished law school. He's clerking for a federal judge, and uh, he's finished the Texas bar exam. But he has to take a little addendum for about uh, Texas criminal justice. You know, he has to know the, the specific codes for Texas. And so he's working on that. And I was thinking about this issue. He's interested in the criminal justice side, the litigation side of law. And we talk often about the justice system and the codes that he has to know. I started thinking about this issue of justice as we're going to speak about that. God's wisdom applied to every area of our life. We've talked about friendships and our words and temptation. And today, wisdom and justice. What do you think of when you hear the word justice? When I was a kid, I thought of the Justice League, the Super Friends. Superman's motto, right? The unending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. They've changed that, did you know? To truth, justice, and a better tomorrow. I don't know, maybe Superman's okay with that, but I'm not. <laughs> and there's a lot of confusion. Justice is a hot topic today. There's a lot of confusion in our culture because we, we add things to it. We say, we use phrases like, and we hear phrases like social justice and racial justice and economic justice and educational justice. And what do we mean by that? People mean different things. Some claim that justice is about re rewriting or... Um, Correcting past wrongs, redressing evils of the past, economically primarily. Others talk about justice as, no, well, it's not about the past. It's about creating a more equitable and just future for all people. Still others talk about justice in terms of removing and tearing down institutions and systems in our culture, in our society that foster injustice or oppression. What are we really talking about when we talk about justice? Frankly, I think it's difficult in our culture because it's a little bit of a moving target. It's, it changes so often. It feels to me like the great theological movie, Princess Bride, one of mine and Pastor Brian's favorites, when Inigo Montoya says, that word, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. I feel that way about justice in our culture. If you've not seen the movie, well, you know, this is one of the best scenes, right? You keep using that word. Justice. I don't think it means what you think it means. The Oxford English Dictionary defines justice as the maintenance of what is just or right by the exercise of authority or power, assignment of deserved reward or punishment. Well, that's good as far as it goes, but I don't think it goes far enough because those two words in the upper right-hand corner, just or right, it begs the question, who decides? Who determines what is just or right? How do we know? Is this what politicians do? Do senators do this? Do judges do this? Do lawyers do this? 
Who makes these determinations about what is just and right in our society? Most of us have some intuitive sense of what's right. We say things like, that isn't right. That isn't fair. That's unjust, referring to something that's happened to us or someone we care about or something in the world. But where does this sense of fairness and justice come from? C.S. Lewis, you knew he was going to make his way into the sermon eventually. Well, here he is. In his classic Mere Christianity, talks about his own journey out of atheism. And one of his primary arguments against the existence of God was that he thought the universe was unjust. Here's what he says. My argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? That internal sense each of us have that this is not right comes from somewhere. Where do we get this sense of what is right, what ought to be? Lewis, what's interesting, and very few people reflect on this in our culture today, secular society borrows the concepts and the terms and the value systems of biblical justice, but they don't understand the root of the foundation. They want the fruit without the root, and he can't have it that way. Lewis is saying that his argument against God was actually one of the key indicators of the existence of God. Do you see that? I called it unjust, but that's coming from somewhere. Something in me felt that way. Martin Luther King Jr., in his letter from a Birmingham jail, says a just law is a man-made code that squares with the moral law, or the law of God. What we call a just law today is one that ultimately speaking squares with a standard that's outside of any human institution. There's got to be an objective, ultimate standard by which we call a line crooked, a true straight line, in other words. This brings us to the God of justice, the God of justice. It is impossible to know or to do justice in the world without wisdom. And wisdom, as we've been seeing throughout this series, starts with the knowledge of God. There is no wisdom without God, and therefore there is no justice without God. You may not think of Proverbs as a wisdom book, but it actually is. When our preaching team, we meet every Thursday morning, we were studying these texts a few weeks ago, it, was, it struck us that we think of wisdom, the Proverbs speaking about temptation, sure, wisdom's call, of course, our words, yes. But the issue of justice is all over the book of Proverbs, and that shouldn't be that surprising, it's all over the Bible. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 Look at this. This is right in the very beginning of the book of Proverbs. Solomon describing to us what he's written Proverbs for, why it exists. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. What's this for? God's wisdom? To teach us, to instruct us on what is true and right and just. Coming straight from God. The purpose of wisdom is in part to teach us justice. What it is. How it is to be done. How it is to impact our lives. These two words, righteousness and justice, that you see there together, these are companion words. They're frequently paired together, always paired together when speaking about the character of God. Righteousness and justice. They're two Hebrew words. Righteousness is the word tzedek, and, it, it, uh, and the Hebrew word for justice is mishpat. Now, these two words, Scott, I've read, 
a ton <laughs> over the years about this, and, and they're still debated because there's a lot of overlap, and, and, and they're, they're not synonyms, but they're very, very close. The best definition I can understand and give to you is this, that righteousness, tzedek, refers to what is right, what is the standard, the straight line, to use Lewis's terminology. And mishpat, justice, is the application of that righteousness in human relationships, in the world. So there's a standard, righteousness, and there's justice doing that, living according to that standard, both of which flow straight from the heart and character and wisdom of God. If you want to know anything about justice, you have to start with God. You don't start with the racial history of our country. You don't start with... uh, an, an, an academic study of the terminology. You don't study with legal codes throughout human history and civilization. You start with the character and nature of God. And he then informs how we think about race relation and immigration and the unborn and the legal codes and every other justice issue you might raise. You don't start with justice. You start with God if you want to understand justice. Look at Proverbs chapter 2, verses 6 through 9. For the Lord gives wisdom... From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness, Sedek, and justice, Mishpat, and equity in every good path. I want you to notice again those two paired words. And this time Solomon is talking about a way and a path. In other words, this justice is not an abstract concept in our minds. It's active. It's a life that we live. It's a way in which we live that squares with, aligns with God's character and God's nature. If you want to truly understand, then you bring your mind and your heart, we bring our minds and hearts under the authority of God's word. In it, he reveals to us who he is and what is just and right. God is just, perfectly righteous, and he always speaks and acts with perfect justice. We do not. I think one of the challenges about this concept is, in our culture, is the word justice, it just gets, it's, it's squishy. You know, sometimes the words can be used so frequently for so many different things in, in the English language that they cease to have any meaning at all. This is, or they change meaning entirely. And frankly, I think this is, justice feels like a moving target. Can you relate to that? Things that, now we know that we're on the wrong side of history. Now we know this is the issue that must be addressed. And what's, who's to say in a decade It won't have shifted again. This is why what theologians call the immutability of God is one of the greatest doctrines to put inside your heart. You know what immutability of God? Who could tell me what does immutability of God mean? Some of you scholars, I know you know this, right? What does it mean? The unchanging character of God. We change. We fail. We falter. We ebb and flow. We shift. God never does. And this is our hope as Christians, because when you have screwed up, when you have sinned, when you're in trouble, you want a God whose mercy and love and grace is always the same. He's not, he doesn't go, well, Jeff, I forgave you that for, for that 300 times, and that's enough. I've run out now. He's always the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when it comes to his steadfast love, we want that. We need that. That's our hope. But don't you know the unchangeable character of God also applies to his justice and his righteousness? He doesn't shift or change what is true and right and just. Our culture does. He does not. And that too should be our anchor and our hope. You can't have one without the other. 
we cling to the immutability of God when it comes to the issue of justice, not just grace. This is why God cares so deeply that his people live in accordance with his character and his word. In fact, he tells us in Proverbs 21.3 that to do justice and righteousness is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Now, we don't have a sacrificial system, but it's talking about your religious observations. Coming to church every Sunday. Being faithful in doing your religious duty. And it's, I'm, it won't surprise you that a pastor would say, it's good to come to church every Sunday. Please do. But that he's, what God is saying here, through Proverbs, that God cares more about the character of our heart being aligned with his standard of justice and righteousness than just going through the religious motions. Over and over again, all throughout the Bible, God is revealed as a just God who demands justice. These won't be on the screen, but a couple of examples. Leviticus 19, verse 15, You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great. But in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. Psalm 33, verses 4 through 5, For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Of course, you'll all know Micah chapter 6, verse 8, but verses 7 and 8, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man and woman, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? to act justly, do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Psalm 106, verse 3, Blessed are they who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. Over and over again, there are hundreds of references that this, God cares about this because it aligns with who he is. It's not like God pulls the justice book off the shelf and says, let me see, here's what you ought to do. It's flowing straight from who God is. We are made in his image. This brings us to the call of justice. Throughout the book of Proverbs, uh, wisdom is depicted as a voice calling. Wisdom's call uh, over against the call of temptation, foolishness, folly, and sin. And the whole message throughout Proverbs is, well, which voice are you going to listen to? And you know that as well as I do. There are different voices calling out to you. Walk this way. Live this way. This is how you're supposed to think. And wisdom's call is always there. Remember 9-11? How many of you remember exactly where you were on September 11, 2001? Show of hands. You know, there's a generation growing up right now that when we talk about 9-11, thinks about, um, that they hear that like I used to think about it when my dad or grandpa would talk about Pearl Harbor. Maybe some of you can remember where you were for both dates. On 9-11, you remember the chaos in the aftermath of the Twin Towers falling. So much confusion. What happened? Where did this come from? Who did this? What does it mean? Are we at war? Are we not at war? Who's after us? Are we safe? So many questions and confusion. And for, do you remember when President Bush was, I think, reading a book in a, in a, in a school somewhere, I think in Oklahoma, and then he was going to address the nation in a couple of days. I, re, I vividly remember, we were all glued to the TV set, glued to the screen to hear what our president would say. Didn't matter who you voted for, at that moment, we wanted a word from our authority, our leader, to tell us it's gonna be okay. To give us a word of comfort, of encouragement, of strength, of hope. Hanging on it, ready for it. I can remember that. 
Or uh, Dwight Link, who used to be, he's passed away, he's with Jesus now, but in the, his final days, I remember him, I visited him in the hospital, he said, I, I believe God will let me hang on until I can address all of my grandchildren. He wanted to have them in the hospital with him. This was right during COVID, and they weren't going to let him, but Dwight's a pretty persistent man, even on his deathbed. And he got his whole gra- all of his family there. And one by one, he had something to say to them about the goodness of God. He would write down the list. Not everybody gets that privilege. But God gave that gift to Dwight. They're, they were riveted. What does Grandpa want to say to me before he leaves this earth? Think about the intensity of, of wanting to hear in those moments. Well, do we ever approach the Word of God with that kind of intensity? I need to hear what God has to say. This is God's Word. It's revealing His character. It's His standard of justice. And now, more than ever, I want to hear from Him. I'm going to read to you chapter 8, verses 1 through 20. It's a long passage, but it highlights this, I think, beautifully for us. Proverbs 8, verses 1 through 20. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights, beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. From my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands, and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels. And all that you may desire cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance and the way of evil, and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign, and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule, and nobles all who govern justly. I love those who love me, and those who seek me, Find, diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness and in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. This call of wisdom. I don't know if you caught this, but if we could go back a few slides up there, sorry to do that to you, to the very first one of chapter 8, verses 1 through 20 very first slide of that passage. Yeah, right there. Notice, where does wisdom call? On the heights, beside the way, at the crossroads, beside the gates of the town, at the entrance. These are all references to public places. The heights is public places of worship. The crossroads, the marketplaces, the intersection of ideas, the exchange of goods and ideas. At the gates, the place of justice where public decrees were made. It's wisdom is calling not in your private devotional study, not solely in your personal private religion, but in public. We have so privatized Christianity. Hey, that's true for you, but keep that to yourself. Don't you dare force that on anyone else. That's your business. That's fine as far as it goes, but that's just for you. But the call of wisdom is not a private thing. It's public, meant for public consumption. That's not popular to say today, but it's true. Calling out. 
to be applied in public, in the world. In other words, God's wisdom, which leads to true justice in all of human life, in every sphere, is desperately needed. It's for public consumption, not just private devotion. This is crucial for us to understand. The wisdom of God, which brings about the justice of God, is for the blessing of all people, not just Christians on Sundays. Oh, we need this more than ever in our world, particularly our nation. This means there are no borders around God's wisdom, no place where it doesn't apply his standard of justice, and there are no people, ultimately, who are not accountable to it, whatever they may say. In chapter 8, verses 15 and 16, he says, By me, kings reign. By me, princes rule. He's the standard. And I'm sorry to keep you, I just want to make sure you're not falling asleep up there. Go to the last slide of Proverbs 8, 1 through 20. I walk in the way of righteousness and in the paths of justice. Let me talk to you now about the way of justice. The wisdom of God leads to justice not merely in our private lives, not merely theoretically as, a, as an academic or theological idea, but in our lives right now. Not even as some of us think, I know I, I've been tempted to think this, well, of course, God's standard of righteousness and justice will happen when he, Christ returns. And he'll judge the world in righteousness. He'll establish justice. Of course, eventually we can count on that. But until then, we kind of just have to muddle through. The call of wisdom is to be for God's standards and wisdom and justice to be applied in our lives and in the world now as best we can. There is a way of living rightly and justly in the world. Now, I mentioned in the pastoral prayer a moment ago, we're headed to an election season. I don't know if you know that. Do you know that? If you don't, you're going to find out pretty soon. We're going to hear lots of words from lots of asides on every issue. And, of course, when it comes to political engagement, we should pray diligently for our nation and our leaders. We should vote our conscience. We should let the Word of God inform our thinking about the key issues of our time. We should advocate for God's wisdom and justice to be applied in, in, in public policy. But each of us individually only has so much agency. I can, that only goes so far. But every one of us is accountable for, my, for your life, for my life and yours. I mean, you for yours, me for mine, right? Are you living justly? Are you applying God's standard in your life? Let me give you three ways that show up over and over again in Proverbs. They won't be on the screen, but you can remember them with the acronym MVP. Three tools that Proverbs says we each individually can use to bring about justice in our sphere of influence. MVP. The first, money. Your money, your resources, which are not yours, by the way. They're God's. What, to what degree do you use your resources to bring about justice, to support people, ministries that are advocating for justice, to meet the needs of those who are struggling and hurting? V, your voice. Your voice. To what degree do you ever speak up for those who are voiceless in our culture? Those who nobody listens to because they're considered nothing. The marginalized. Unborn? Absolutely. Immigrants at the border? Absolutely. And isn't it interesting that our country would divide us on those two things? Well, yeah, but, yeah, but, not, yeah, but, yeah, but. There's a whole lot of yeah, buts. Let me just, this is a bit risky, but... I'm going to say it anyway. Maybe it's a test run to see if I'll say it next hour. When it comes to immigration policy, 
What should the policy be at the United States border? You want to know? I don't know. It's above my pay grade. I don't understand all the issues. I don't know for sure. And Christians can graciously and thoughtfully debate what the, pol- the political policy of our government should be at our borders. That's not the question. The justice question is, how should you think about the foreigner, the sojourner, the immigrant, the alien? What does God's word say about your heart for those who are homeless, stateless, hungry, and vulnerable? That's the justice issue. So your money, M, your voice, V, P, your power, your position. You think, well, I don't have any position. You do. By virtue of living in this part of the world and with the resources and influence we have, you do. And then so individually and collectively as the church, we should be thinking and praying about our MVP, right? Our money, our voice, and our power. How can we use those to bring about God's standard of righteousness and justice in the world? Supporting things like administer justice, the International Justice Mission, Shepherd's Heart Food Pantry, and all the ministries that are under that umbrella. Our Serve the World Partners. Those are justice issues. Caring for the oppressed, the vulnerable. This is the way of justice. And it matters deeply to God. Proverbs 28, verse 5, Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. That is, there's a progression there. If you don't know the Lord, then you only know what the secular society has to say about justice. And some of that may be based on divine truth, but a lot of it isn't, and it's shifting sand. Seeking God puts you in the process of growing in your understanding of what is just and right. Meaning this, justice, like wisdom, is relational knowledge. It's not something you only get through academic study or life experience. It's in relationship to God. The wisdom of God produces in those who know him and seek him both an understanding of and a deep desire for justice in the world. Proverbs 31, verses 8 through 9. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Your voice, your influence, your resources, and ours together. From the biblical perspective, wisdom is not something you acquire merely by study or life experience. It's something God gives in relationship to him. And this is crucial for us to understand. This brings us finally to what I would call the man of justice. The man of justice. Justice like wisdom is not an abstract concept. It's a relational reality. And it It's found in relationship to God. And our relationship to God is found in one man. Proverbs 29, verse 26 says this, Many seek the face of a ruler, but it's from the Lord that a man gets justice. Many seek the face of a ruler, meaning many in our culture are looking to a human leader or ruler, a candidate, a president, a politician, someone who will get it right. And this is a deep human longing that goes all the way back, a longing for a king to come and finally set things right. And every election cycle, they all promise. And then every four years, we find out that's not true at all, what he said. said. It's a perpetual disappointment, not just right now in American politics, but throughout human history. Many seek the face of a ruler, but it is from the Lord that you find what your heart longs for. 
justice. This has been at the center of our, the hope of God's people from the Old Testament right on through to the New, from the prophets. We recite this uh, prophecy, uh, Isaiah 9. We sing it in Handel's Messiah. We say it every Advent season and Christmas, but it's so much more than a Christmas passage. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You all know that. You sing that. You know those almost by heart. But then look at the next line. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish and to uphold it with justice, mishpat, and righteousness, Sedek. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Our hope is that someday there will be a man of true justice. Someone will come and really do what our hearts long for. You look out at the world. I, I spent last week an hour on the phone with a guy from our church whose 16-year-old daughter has a rare form of, of cancer. And they thought she was in remission. They were celebrating, and it's back in force. And I, through tears, he just said, it's just so wrong. It feels so unfair. We just need a win, Pastor Jeff. Just pl- pre- please pray for a win. The world is broken. The ravaged fires in Hawaii, from natural disasters to diseases to the horrible things people do to each other. You've seen the movie The Sound of Freedom? Right? There's injustice all over the world. Who's going to fix that? Who's going to set that right? And it's not just out there, friends. It's in here. I hope you know that. I mean, it's one thing to cry out for justice, that justice will be done to those evildoers. <laughs> but what if it's turned around? Justice is a great idea until it's applied to you. I'm unjust. My heart is corrupt and sinful. Apart from Christ, I deserve perfect justice. You should shudder at that. But this is the beautiful part of the gospel. Look with me at Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 26. You'll all know Romans 3, 23, right? You know it by heart. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's not good news. That's not even news. Right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, let us pray. No. And are justified, made right by his grace, which is a gift through redemption in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. That's the gospel, right? All have sinned, all are unjust, all need to be set right, made right, justified. And God's done that. For those who seek him in Christ Jesus. But now this my favorite part, which I don't think gets read often enough. Look at how this passage ends. In verse 26. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He is the just one. He is the judge. He is the right and true one. And he's right and true to judge us and condemn us. But he's also the justifier. He's also the one who doesn't do that. And how's that even possible? How can he be just and justifier? That is the cross. God's perfect justice and mercy meet. God doesn't wink at sin. He doesn't sweep it under the rug and pretend it didn't happen. He doesn't go, okay, okay, I know you meant well. He takes justly the punish you rightfully deserve. 
He's your justifier. And he's the just judge. We are all sinful and unjust. We're all justified by his grace. And I'll just submit this. All the talk in our culture about justice, all the angst over the injustice in the world, all the people trying to figure out how to bring it about, it starts right here. It starts with each individual recognizing the injustice in the world is in my heart. And there's only one who can make me right, who can justify me. And his name is Jesus, the one who's just and the justifier. And then that opens my mind and my heart and my life to a relationship with a God who is a God of justice, who instructs us in his paths, who motivates us by his spirit, who empowers us then to act justly in the world. It isn't debating online what the best policy is. It's beginning with the one who is both just and justifier. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we recognize that of all the injustice in the world, we, uh, we too are guilty. We too are unjust and our hearts are corrupt. And we look to the cross and we praise you and worship you that you took the punishment we deserve. That is our hope. And you, Lord, do not change. You do not change in your mercy and you do not change in your justice. And we cling to both as our hope. We thank you, Lord, that you are a just and righteous God. We thank you that one day you will return and establish your kingdom with justice and righteousness. And between this day and that day, you've empowered us and equipped us to live for your justice and righteousness in the world now. Help us toward that end, we pray in your name. Jesus' name, amen. Um, Here's our benediction before we leave this morning. Go now in the name of Jesus, the one who is both just and justifier. May you seek his justice and know his peace. Amen. Thank you.